Good morning, church. So nice to see people back in here again. Lord has blessed us. Amen. We're going to be reading out of John today. We're going to start in John 1. We're going to read through verse 34. So if you want to open your Bibles and read along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to, the, as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe in him, through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the testament of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he said, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you were neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across from Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word who defines who you are and that we may learn about you through your word and your word is you. Lord, we just ask that as Jackie comes forward, Lord, that you just bless him with the Holy Spirit and prepare us, open our eyes, our ears, prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord. And give us the strength to boldly go out and proclaim your name to a world who desperately needs you. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for your birth, your death, and especially your resurrection. Through you, we have salvation. And we give you all the thanks and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God is good, isn't he? And I am a testimony of his goodness. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. And as we do, there's two main things that we're going to see from 
from John's uh, ministry. Um, that is, that he came to prepare the way, and he came to proclaim. So there's, there's two things, two, two things that, that John was about as we look at it this morning that we want to kind of have our minds tuned to. So <clears throat> first, he came to prepare the way. It says in verse 19, John chapter 1, this is the testimony of John. Here's something that John is testifying to. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So it's important to understand what's going on. This is not just an innocent question to somebody bump into somebody and say, oh, hey, who are you? That's not what's going on. They're sent from the Jews. When you see that phrase in John, John's going to use that phrase somewhere around 70 times. He's going to use that phrase, and most of the time, not always, but most of the time it's referring to the Sanhedrin, the ruling party of the Jews. So when it says they were sent by the Jews, it's, it'd be like uh, we would consider Congress sending somebody to go talk to someone. The Sanhedrin's the ruling party of Israel. And they're hearing something's going on. 18 miles from Jerusalem, that's all the further they are away. So what's it, 14 miles roughly to twin? So like from here to twin, John the Baptist is baptizing. We would know what was going on if people from all over were just flocking out to, to nowhere because where they're, where, literally where they're being baptized is nowhere. There's no city there, just desert. And so as we're, as we're, we just want to understand a little bit of the background of what's going on. So let's, uh, let's look back just quickly at Luke chapter 1 and see where, where John the Baptist's ministry is birthed. It says, Luke 1, beginning at verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about that, but a lot of times we look at circumstances of life and we think the circumstances of our life either prove or deny the fact of God's favor. But the point here is they were righteous before the Lord. They were good. Everything was good. God's not mad at them. God doesn't hate them. But they still didn't have a child. Now, a child's what they wanted, but they didn't have one. It had nothing to do with God's favor. It had everything to do with what? God's purpose. God's plan. And so we can't always make those, those kind of, a, of judgments. It says, because Elizabeth was barren, and both are advanced in years, so that means they're starting to give up. Now, while he was serving as priest before God... When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he goes to the golden altar. <clears throat> and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. That, that is Bible speak, for he got a little freaked out. Pretty much every time somebody sees an angel, it's just not a comment. It's just, it's just, you don't just go, oh, oh, look, there's an angel here. No, that, that causes some angst, right? He is <coughs> concerned with what's going on. But the next thing that happens is fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That always happens too. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is John's purpose, right? To make ready a way, to, to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, there's several things that the Scripture tells, and we'll dive into that as we, as we discuss it in, in John. But in Mark chapter 1, we, I just want to share a little bit more about what John's doing. It says, now this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> Excuse me, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and honey. And he preached and he said, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So we see that here he's coming and he's going to prepare the way. Now I just want you to get the idea. 18 miles away from Jerusalem, the main city that everybody, everything's centered around in Israel. 18 miles away in the middle of the desert at a, at a place they call uh, today Kazir uh, al-Yahud, the way of the Jews. At the same place in the desert where the children of Israel entered into the promised land, where the priests put their feet in the water and the Jordan stopped up just a little ways outside of Jericho. You guys remember the story, right? Right there, at the place where the children of Israel entered into the promised land, John is baptizing, where it all began. And as he's gathered at that place where it all began, he is confronting Jews. This is not about Gentiles. And you need to understand, the only people who were baptized in the Old Testament were Gentiles when they became Jews. They're washing the Gentile off. And when you were baptized in the Old Testament, you were were baptized by yourself. You walked down in a ritual bath, a mikvahot. Had stairs going down into the water. You dip down below the water, come upstairs on the other side. Still symbolizing the same thing. I'm being washed. I'm being ritually cleansed of all my garbage, right? And I'm coming out the other side. And now something different is happening. Now there's a guy who nobody would let in their church to preach today. Right? John the Baptist, wild man, wrapped up in camel skin, Crazy wild beard, crazy wild hair. Nobody told him about particular haircuts or beard styles. He just let it go. He had a purpose when he came, and that purpose was to confront the sinfulness of the nation of Israel and to prepare their heart. Now, we saw earlier in chapter 1, right, that the Word of God came into his own, but his own did what? They did not receive him, right? They didn't receive him. He comes... John the Baptist's point was to get the people ready. Now when it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him, that's saying that the nation is not going to receive him as their king. Right? Jesus is going to come. They're going to sing songs on the day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a messianic psalm that would be sung before the king to be anointed, to be stamped and say, this is our king. This is the king of the Jews. But rather, four days later, they nailed that sign on a cross and hung him on it. Right? He's not received by his own. The nation's going to turn their back on him. But the people, a nation is made up of people. The nation will reject him. But there are people, tax collectors, prostitutes, homeless people, rich people, people that follow every part of the spectrum that who went out, who heard this crazy man in the middle of the desert. It's not like he's at the mall with a, with a bullhorn and he's shouting at people, repent, repent. He's in the middle of the desert. No, how do you know? You guys know something's going on because somebody texts you. Or somebody puts it on Facebook. Or somebody does a Facebook Live or a YouTube Live. How in the world did these guys know there's a guy, crazy man, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey, sitting out in the desert baptizing people? The Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord was upon John from the womb. That he was anointed for this purpose. And there was an eschatological sense among the nation that 
something is about to happen. Eschatological, that's a big word that means seems like something that is going to impact the end of days is about to happen when Jesus came. Well, what do you think it feels like today? Does it feel a little weird? Like significant things are happening around us? So they're, they're in that mode, they're in that place, and we have John the Baptist out in the wilderness baptizing people. Now first, people are coming in, it's spreading by word of mouth. So people, just get it, nobody jumped on a bus, nobody jumped on a motorcycle, they didn't get on their Harley and go out to the desert. They had to walk 18 miles to go out in the middle of, of the desert, hot, a real desert, and they're out there in a... In a Jordan River, and they're being baptized. Jordan River is not pretty. It's like going out to the snake. A lot of times you can, you can go to some place on the snake river, and you can look and go, oh, so pretty. Go out to Blue Heart, and it's blue water. And then you go out everywhere else, and it's green, mucky water. Jordan's no different. They go out to the Jordan River, and here's this crazy guy, and all he's telling people is, you got to repent, man. You are in sin. The nation is in sin. And you need to repent. Has the message changed that much today? The nation is being called to repent. So he's confronting the sin of the people. And he's confronting the sin of the religious privileged. We got this this conglomeration of guys, right? That comes to John, wants to know who he is. Listen to what John said to him. Matthew 3, verse 7. It says, but when... He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism. John was always very politically correct. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God can make from these stones children for Abraham. Even now, listen, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he is coming after me who is mightier than I. His sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So these guys are coming to him. John's confronting their sinfulness. He's saying everybody needs to repent. There is no way for you and I to live a life as Christians without repentance. There is no way. There's not a day I can get through where I don't need to repent, where I don't need to repent of a bad attitude toward my my wife, a bad attitude toward somebody else. I don't need to repent of sinful thoughts or sinful deeds. I have to live a life of repentance, trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me clean, just like he promised. And so he's out there with that message, and he's calling Jews who are never baptized, and they're coming forward, and they're being baptized by him. And these guys are saying, who are you? Right? I mean, if you walked up to some guy, and he's <coughs> you know, hollering at you from the middle of the river, saying, you need to repent and come out and be baptized... You might ask the same question. Who are you? But nowadays we say things like, well, who are you to judge me? There's an answer. He's a prophet of the Most High God. That's who he is. That that makes all the difference in the world, don't it? Certainly did. And something about the way he looked and the things he said and the things he did, the people said, yeah, I need to get right. So thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are gathering at the river in the middle of nowhere to be baptized, to say, I want to be washed clean of my sin. You want to be washed clean of your sin? Because that's something we can only find in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist calling them to this repentance. Now here's the thing about that repentance. They had to go back and do it again every day. They didn't get baptized. Oh, good, I'm clean now. We don't get clean until we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Now he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. 
I am the righteousness of God by the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. It's a done deal. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. It's completed. It's done. Sin is forgiven. Now it's my job to walk in that forgiveness, right? Which requires me to live a life of confession. I want to constantly be putting the blood of Christ on. I don't want to walk out in presumption that I don't need it. I want to be under the blood, right? I want to be under his covering. So they ask him, who are you? So he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Verse 20, I am not the Christ. So first he says, I'm not the anointed one. That's what the word Christ means, not Jesus' last name. The word Christ means Messiah. The word in, in uh, Hebrew would be Mashiach. Christos in, in uh, Greek, the idea is anointed one. Are you the anointed one? Are you him? Are you the one we're looking for? And he says, no, I'm not that. So they ask him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, John's going to give an interesting answer. He's going to say no. But earlier, we just read in Mark, or, or uh, in Luke, <clears throat> that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus is going to say, if you can handle it, he was the Elijah who is to come. Now, why is there this confusion? Well, let me help you. The Elijah, there's the, the spirit and the power of Elijah that was to come to announce the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and there is Elijah who will come before the end of days. The Bible says, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger. He will prepare a way before me. Part 1. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in which you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So there's the spirit and power of Elijah going to come. And all of a sudden, one day, they're going to see the Christ in the temple. That's Palm Sunday, right? Proclaiming Jesus to be the Christ as they come walking in. Malachi chapter 4, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's the day of the Lord. That's different. The day of the Lord, that's judgment day. That's the end. And he says, before the end comes, I'm going to send Elijah. Elijah the prophet is going to come back. Still today when you celebrate the Passover, there's an empty seat at the table. <coughs> that empty seat is for Elijah. And they go outside and they look for the eschatological return, the end of days return of their king, which will be announced by Elijah the prophet. And so these guys who are asking the question are asking the question, is this the end? No. I'm not that Elijah. Do you understand what he's saying? He's not saying I'm not coming in the power and spirit of Elijah. To, to, he's going to say in a moment, who he is. He's going to make the proclamation of Isaiah before them. But he's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not Elijah. In Matthew 11, uh, Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, <clears throat> there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, heaven has suffered violence, and the violent will take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. So Malachi chapter 3, the Elijah who would come prior to the return, prior to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. But there's another Elijah in Malachi chapter 4, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before judgment day. So he's answering these questions before, <coughs> before the people. In Matthew 17, Jesus gives this uh, description. The disciples ask, well, why do the scribes say first Elijah must come? Okay. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, and they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. One, in the spirit and power of Elijah. They ask him, not only are you the Christ, he says, no, are you Elijah? No, I'm not that Elijah. <laughs> they say, are you the prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18, there was a prophecy given by Moses. So Moses is this, this character that they all look to, right? He's this premium character for the nation of Israel. Moses said to them, listen, God's going to raise up for you a prophet from among you, among your brothers, 
And I will put my words in his mouth, the Lord speaking. He will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he will speak, I will require it of him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The prophet is another title for Messiah. The prophet is a a picture of who Christ is is it's just another term and they don't understand just like you and i when we look at end times we look at the book of revelation is there anybody who has it absolutely figured out if they do they wrote a book and they want to charge you 40 bucks for it and then two years later they'll they'll change it that's how it works because when we look forward at prophecy our vision is not as clear when we look back at what's fulfilled it's a lot easier to see what's already been accomplished right and so these guys, they're, they, don't, they don't fully understand what's going on any more than we do, but they want to know, who are you that you can come out here and do all this? So he says, they said to him, well, then who are you? Verse 22, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. <clears throat> what do you say about yourself? What title are you going to claim? The last prophet on earth. All the law and the prophet was until John. Last guy. The the guy whom Jesus said, nobody born of a woman is greater than John. How many of us have been born of a woman? So that puts him at the top of a lot of lists, right? I love what he says. Who, Who do you say you are? He doesn't say, I'm the last prophet. You should listen to me. He doesn't say, I'm the greatest man born of women. He says, I'm a voice. There's no title. There's no title there. We live in a time where we clamor for titles and accolades and approval of men. And all John wants to be known as is a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm just a voice. I'm one of the voices. Specifically, he is the voice that was prophesied to come and announce uh, the, uh, the arrival of the Christ. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make a straight way for the Lord. Make a highway for your God. The idea of that phrase, Isaiah 43, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The point is, if you are in the middle of the desert and you're dying of thirst... And you're just trudging. Picture all those movies you've ever seen. Some guy walking in the sand, hanging his head down. And you lift up your eyes, and all of a sudden you see a highway. Would you think you would enjoy walking on that highway? I'm trudging through the sand. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm pretty sure if I get on the highway, that's going somewhere good. There's a highway. The Bible teaches us throughout Scripture that there are Two paths we can walk, right? The path of life and the path of death. Remember what the angel told Zechariah of the son that would be born. He said he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the way of wisdom. That's one of the themes of Proverbs, right? Follow the path of the fool or the path of the wise. Follow the path of death or the path of life. So what is John the Baptist, how is he telling them to get on the path of life? He says what? Repent. Get off a walking, trudging in the sand and get on the highway. Where's that highway go? It's a highway going to God. Who is that highway? Jesus said, I am the way, the, and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? By me. So when Jesus stands in the multitude here in a, probably not till next week, and he says, come follow me. You get the picture? It's all being painted out in pictures. I, I, when we went to Rome this last year, uh, I've, I've been to Israel often. <coughs> Love Israel. Rome I've only ever been to once. And I was blown away by this idea. We were walking through looking at all the paintings, Michelangelo's paintings and, and all these paintings, which are super cool to look at. The people didn't read. 
So if you wanted the common person to understand the idea about what you're trying to get across, you painted a picture. And there were symbols in that picture to describe certain things so that they would get uh, uh, gospel ideas across by the picture. And we look at those pictures and we say, oh, those pictures are so weird. Yeah, because we read. They didn't. So they're trying to communicate ideas. The Bible is constantly communicating ideas to us, and they're always being one idea built on another idea built on another idea, and they continue all the way through. Two ways, life and death, wise and the fool. Jesus saying, come follow me, a highway for our God. John the Baptist is going to say, there's the highway. Who are you, John? I'm just a voice. I'm going to tell you which way to go. I'm going to declare to you the path that ought to be taken. Make the way clear. Everybody wondering, I've been baptized, I've repented. Where do I go now? What do I do, John? What do I do, John? What do I do? He's he's about to tell us, right? He's about to say, there's the way. Get on that road. Leave all that other stuff behind. Get on the road. Follow the way it goes. And so he challenges them with baptism. He says, hey, I'm just the voice crying out, making straight paths for the Lord. Verse 24. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're none of these people? If you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered him and said, I baptize with water, but one among you stand, or but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. Kasir al-Yahud. Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Same place where the children of Israel entered into the land. The Lamb of God is going to begin his ministry. So here he's saying, by what authority are you baptizing? And he says, I love Bible, but Bible doesn't always answer the questions that you ask. Anybody ever notice that? doesn't always answer the question you ask. Sometimes it says this. You're asking the wrong question. <laughs> so I'm going to answer the one you should be asking. Jesus does it all the time. We're going to see it over and over again in him. So he said, they're saying, by what authority are you doing this? And he said, look, it's not about authority. Here's what you need to know. There's one standing among you right now who has all the authority. The Word made flesh. He's here. The crowd, just think of the crowd surrounding him. He's standing there in the river. These guys are asking him questions. And somewhere in that multitude, he's saying, there's one among us. He's here now. He's here in our midst. He's here in this place. That's the one you need to be looking for. Matthew 3.11, again, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he's coming who is mightier than I, the sandals I cannot loose. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Two things are coming. Two roads, two paths, two ways, life, death. Holy Spirit, fire. Not fire like we sing songs. Where we say, you know, fire fall down. This is not that kind of fire. This kind of fire is the kind of fire that speaks of judgment. He is going to judge a condemned world. He is the judge. Or he is going to give a gift to the condemned world of the Holy Spirit, which is what saves us. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, the body of Christ. So he's talking about this work, the one who's among you. This is the question you need to ask. What authority do I have? Ultimately, John's saying, who am I? I'm a voice. You want to know what authority I have? I don't got any. It's not about my authority. It's about will you hear what God is saying? Will you listen to the voice of God as he calls out. So, he goes on in verse 29. And now we shift from the preparation of the way to the proclamation. The proclamation of the one. He says, so the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I came to make a highway, a straight path. You want to know what to do? You've been coming out here and being baptized for repentance. You've been opening your heart to God, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then John pointed. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. You don't think they know what that means? The Lamb of God, that's Genesis 22. Do you know who the Lamb of God is? Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. First place, love is mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 22. It's a love of a father for his son. Interesting, no? Think that's an accident? So Abraham takes him and he lays his son on the wood and he's there and his son says, Dad, we got the wood and we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham just picked up a knife. And as he held the knife, he said, Yahweh Yireh. So people say all the time, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, you've heard it that way. There's no J in Hebrew. So Jehovah Jireh is a horrible translation. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. J, 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 no J's. Jacob, not Jacob. Yeshua, not Joshua. <laughs> Joshua's English. Jehovah's English. Jaira, I don't even know what that is. Yahweh Yireh. God will provide. You ever, you ever say that? God will provide. God will provide. That's only part of what Abraham said. Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide himself. God's going to be your lamb one day. Now, Abraham thinks God's going to raise his son from the dead, but we know, right, the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord. Let me tell you another way to say the angel of the Lord. The word of God. The angel of the Lord came and he said, whoa, whoa, stop. I know this because every time the angel of the Lord talks, he talks in the first person. Now I know that you love me. Those are important questions for God to know, right? Does God know you love him? Or does every time something bad happens, you go, God hates me. I used to do that. Every time something didn't go my way, every time something didn't happen the way I thought, right? Oh, God, don't love me. And one day God told me, I'm going to take everything away from you until I know you love me. So I told him, you can have it all. He took it. He took it all. Everything. House, car, stuff, whatever. Every single thing we had, he took it all. But when it was all gone, he was still there. And all that stuff, I don't care about any of it. People think I'm joking all the time, but you I promise, you walk up to me while I'm sitting out there with my bike and say, I want to take your bike for a spin and see what happens. I'll throw you the keys. I got insurance. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I don't care. None of that stuff matters. And so all of this refers back to that, right? The Lamb of God. This is the promise from Genesis 22 that goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when God said the seed of the woman would destroy the head of the serpent. The fall of man is going to be utterly demolished. The enemy is going to be put down by the seed of the woman. And he points, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, 
<coughs> After me comes a man who ranks before me. <coughs> He's better than me. Look, uh, this is such, such a, a vital idea for us to, to, to just understand. This is such a vital idea. He is greater than me. John is always, all the time, consistently saying, I must decrease. He must increase. It was never about self-exaltation. It was never about climbing a ladder of success. It was never about getting your face on a billboard or getting more YouTube hits or getting more people watching on Facebook Live. It's not about that. It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about Jesus Christ. So John is always saying, I'm just a voice. John is always elevating Christ. It's him. Elevate. That's what preachers are supposed to do. It's not about the elevation of self or the elevation of my ideals or my ideas or my concepts. It's the elevation of Jesus Christ making a highway that people can see so that they come and walk the path. He is preeminent. He is the most important part. Jesus. Not me, not Calvary Chapel Buell, and I'm sorry to say, not you. Jesus. Can you exalt him? Can you lift him up if God says you got to do it with camel hair and crazy hair and a big old bushy beard? Sorry, ladies. If God said that, could you say, I'm a voice? Could you say, I'm just here to proclaim, I'm, I'm here to herald who Jesus is? I'm here to be a testimony of the Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes on, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was baptized, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove, right? It wasn't a dove, but something like a dove descended, like a dove descends, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And it remained. A lot of people think that what occurs is what we're seeing here in John. Jesus comes. He's baptized. John doesn't tell us about the baptism, about the heavens opening, about the voice from heaven declaring, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? The other gospels tell us about it. The Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then the scripture says that the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. You remember where I told you they were being baptized? It's not very far to the wilderness. There's all the people around Jordan. All he's got to do is walk away from the people. As soon as he gets outside of the people, wilderness. Not woods. Didn't say woods. When the Bible says wilderness, it means God-forsaken backside of the desert. And if you ever go to Israel and see it, you'll be like, Lord, have mercy. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to be here for five minutes. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. How long? 40 days, right? 40 days to be tried, tempted by the devils waiting for an opportune time, right? And everything the devil says to him tends to be the things we want. All the kingdoms of the world. Man will bow down and worship you. You can have it all. But Jesus faces every one of the temptations in the wilderness with the word of God. He quotes out of Deuteronomy, by the way. So the word of God that he defeats the devil with is Old Testament. And then he comes walking back to where John's baptizing. And John looks over at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why? Because he said, I knew that the one upon whom I saw the Spirit descend, what's the next two words? And remain. 
Forty days later, Jesus walks back into that same place. John the Baptist points him, there's the highway. There he is. I was pretty sure. Now I know. I know for a certainty there he is. He's the one. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him. It's his cousin. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's bringing salvation. He is providing the way, the sacrifice that will cleanse all who will be bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They'll be cleansed by his blood and they will enter in by baptism into one body by one spirit. That's why we call the church the body of Christ. That's why we say it's never good for brothers to to sow discord among brethren because when you tear the body of Christ, who bleeds? We're not supposed to do that. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? How you love each other. How you love each other. Well, that's how we're supposed to know. The way that we love one another. He says, this is the one. He's going to take away the sin of the world and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells in Matthew 3.11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, you want to know what he means by fire? Continue to listen. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat, believers, into his barn. Right? That's the harvest. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn. But the chaff, unbelievers, he will do what? Burn with fire. Jesus is the dividing point. He's the crossroad between life and death. The two paths God told the nation of Israel they had to take. And he pleaded with them, choose life. Right? I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Walk that path. I don't know where to go. Isn't that what we say? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So Isaiah the prophet said there's going to be a guy who comes who makes a highway so you can't miss it. Who's the highway? Jesus is the highway. Is there any way to come to the Father other than through Jesus Christ? No. There's no way. There's one way. There's one way. John the Baptist points. You don't know who to follow? There he is. You need to follow him. You need to follow this guy. You need to come with him. We face him as Savior. And he wraps a robe around us like the prodigal son, puts a ring on our finger, and brings us before the Father where there's celebration in heaven like nobody could even begin to understand. You face him as Savior or you face him as Judge. Two roads, choice, life, death. Joshua would say in the Old Testament, as for me and my family, we're choosing who? We're going to serve the Lord. You guys got to choose what you're going to do, but Joshua said, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You're going to serve the Lord all the time, most of the time, some of the time. You're going to get on the highway and walk every day. It's a life, man. Turning from. That's why the Lord said, forsake all. Forsake everything. Get on the highway. Walk toward the Lord. Paul said, I have not already arrived, nor am I already perfected. But this one thing I do, I lift my eyes and I put it on the prize and I endure. I press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. I press on. Move on. He is going to judge. In fact, Luke 19, verse 41, as Jesus is entering into the city of Jerusalem, he wept and he said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. And they will tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. 
and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the day of your visitation. He came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. 70 AD. The temple has been gone ever since. Jerusalem has been destroyed so many times and rebuilt. You got to wander around the city and look in everybody's basement to find the stones that made up different parts of the, of the city. They're all over the place. He came to bring salvation. We will face him as savior. Or we will face him as judge. The Bible declares now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. And then verse 34, listen to what John says. I have seen, I am an eyewitness, and born witness, I am bearing testimony. This is the Son of God. Now, in the 21st century, we mess that phrase up. We have all kinds of insight that we bring to that phrase. What does it mean to be the Son of God? If you want to know what it means to be the Son of God, you've got to delve into their culture. Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary is uh, one of the sources that I use to kind of get into what, how did people use this phrase. I shared a little bit on it last week or Wednesday, I don't remember. Oh, watch the videos. Maybe you'll see it. Um, listen, the Son of God was a title that most kings took. It meant, I am the God we worship, whoever it was, if you're a Pharaoh, it was Ra, if you were a Philistine, it was Dagon, if you were, it just depends on who you were. But they became God in the flesh. And they would rule the nation as God in the flesh. So when the king spoke, they spoke with God's voice, right? And here's what Daniel told us about the kingdoms of all men. They all fail. They all proclaim deity, but none of them have it. They all proclaim power, but none of them have it. They all say, no, I'm the real deal. I'm the real deal. The Bible tells us there have been many antichrists, even now. There's a pseudo-Christ we look for eschatologically for the end of days. But there's been a lot of people who proclaim themselves to be the savior of mankind. So these kings would declare themselves, they would say, I am the son of Ra, Pharaoh. I am the son of Dagon, the king of the Philistines. But the true son of God was born in a Bethlehem, a manger in Bethlehem, not in a palace. He didn't stand on a throne. Listen to what Daniel said, that statue that represents all the kingdoms of men, all the proclamations of man who said, I'm a God. It says, one day there will be a stone from the heavens, not cut out with hands. And it's going to hit that statue in the feet. It's going to blow up. And that stone is going to grow into a mountain. And it's going to fill the whole earth. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man, that's always going to fail. And it's ultimately the final failure. Listen, the final failure of the kingdom of man is going to go into a one world, one king proclamation one more time of a man saying what? I am God. The pseudo-Christ. And the Bible says, in that day, the real king will return. When John says, look, the son of God. It's not how they ever heard that phrase used. As always, a king, someone exalting themselves. But you have the humblest of all servants, God, who left the heavens and came to earth, was born as a child. You can't imagine anything more humiliating and there is the real son of God and the important part is as John points at him he's telling you this is the only reason he's writing this book 
The only reason John, as he looked at the other Gospels, and they're already out, and most of the most of the New Testament is already functioning. John's an old man, and he sits down in his 90s, and he says, you know, I need to write something. I want to write something. He tells us in John 20, verse 30 and 31, why he did it. He said, now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples that I didn't write about. They're not written in this book. But he said, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one spoken of by Scripture, that Jesus is the Son of God, which means God in flesh. Doesn't mean little born one. Never says little born one. We're not talking about a demigod or a semigod or a half god. Nope. This is, this is how they use the phrase. That's how we define it. Not in the 21st century how they use it. This is God in the flesh so that you might know the Son of God and believing on Him, you may have life. John wrote this so that you would know that Jesus is who He said He was. That the proclamation that he is the son of God, unlike all the other kings before, that proclamation is going to be proved by the things he did. Because nobody ever did what he did. We're 2,000 years later and we're talking about a guy who never left his home nation. Never was on Facebook. Till now, we put pictures on. I don't think that's really him, but you know what I mean. Never been on YouTube, never ruled, never held office. Walked around with 12 guys. There's nobody like him. The proclamation that he is the son of God, he is God in the flesh, he proved. When only God can open the eyes of the blind. That's what the Old Testament declares. Only Yahweh can open the eyes of the blind. You know, the Old Testament declares only Yahweh can calm the storm on the sea. Wait, we have something like that in this, don't we? Peace be still. Today is a day of salvation. Now is the time. He is the Son of God. And if we believe in Him, we will have life in His name. Two paths, Savior or Judge. Two paths, Life or death, wisdom or folly, choose this day who you will serve. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, (coughs) for the truth that your word declares, for the truth of who you are, that we might know you. This is why John wrote this, that we might know that you are the Christ, The anointed one promised all the way back in Genesis 3. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world in Genesis 22. That you are the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. That you are the one that his words, the things he says, we have to follow. Or God will require it of us. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 18. He's that prophet. He's that Messiah. He is the truth of what man declared in ancient days over and over again. To try to elevate himself as though, I want you to know I have authority because I'm God in the flesh. But all those men died. You can see their tombs today. And you can see his too. But there's something different about his tomb. I've been in it. He is not there. God, I just pray that we hear your call. We bow the knee to you and you alone. You are our authority. I have none. You are our message. I have none. You are our highway to God so that I know where to go and what to do. You said, come, follow me.
You said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. God, the word is full of what to do. May we choose. Like Joshua said all those years ago, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Won't you bow the knee and come with us? Come and live. Why should you die? Face your Savior. Let him clothe you, wrap you in a robe, put a ring on your finger. Let him say to his father, look, Dad, they've come home. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.